0: There, it started now. So, so to reiterate some things we've said in other settings, um, what God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future. But he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. So he's always going to bring something shocking into our lives. I, I have a, a dear friend who is today is his first day in a doctoral program, and he's so excited we, we, he called this afternoon, I talked to him about it, and I said, well, I, I want you to remember about your doctoral program, the two great lessons I have learned from the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> First is, in the middle of an adventure, it looks like a catastrophe. The second lesson is, you can always choose to get involved in an adventure, but you can't choose what it's going to cost you. Uh, So I said, at some point in the middle of your program, you're going to wonder, why in the world did I ever do this? But I said, there are certain costs you should not pay, but there are many costs you should pay and will pay if you're going to succeed in this doctoral program. He really needs to. He's a pastor, but but he he wants to be a teacher, and he wants to be a pastor, and those those are kind of at odds with one another. But... um, uh, uh, but he's been teaching and pastoring for the last seven years, and he knows now I've got to be a teacher, and I've got to. Be, he's got to be a pastor. He's got to be in a pulpit. He's got to be have a church that he's in their lives and taking part in their lives. So he realizes this is a cost I got to pay to do this. So um, uh, the uh, the issue is, you don't know what God has planned for you. I don't either. What God has planned for me. In fact, on the way over here, I was thinking, hmm. all of this learning. In fact, I was listening to a to a lecture, a sermon by my favorite professor on Hebrews one one to three, and it was made in nineteen ninety two. Uh, and um, uh, I, I I remembered his his funeral, thinking, what what good was all his learning now. Nobody's going to want to know what commentaries I've read when I get to heaven. And there will be people who will understand the scriptures a whole lot better than I do when I get when I get to the kingdom. So, so what does God have in place for me? Are you with me here? What does God have in place for you? Well, Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So as much as you perhaps enjoy your lot in life now as a child of God, whatever is ahead is so much better that any price is worth getting there. Does that make sense? So verse 13 he goes on and says, Make straight paths for your feet so uh, so that uh, the lame might not be shamed, but rather be healed. And here he's talking about the lame, the people who are inclined to stumble under the hardships of of serving the Lord. But they're going to be healed. So you, you, you become a major healing element in all of this. So you get prepared, set in your mind. Hard times are coming. That's okay. Through the ministry of the Spirit, through the provision of Jesus, through the purpose and plan of God, and as he works faith in us, we can make it. So then he goes on to verse fourteen. Pursue peace with everyone. And you have sanctification <coughs> yeah, uh, without which no one shall see God. Now I've preached sermons on this. Gotta gotta get you gotta go through sanctification. Why? Do you have to go through sanctification? Gotta become like Jesus, because you got if you're not like Jesus, you can't stand before God. But we've seen reason to view sanctification differently. So, so the way I've been viewing sanctification, if it's right, is that sanctification is staying with the body of Christ, <laughs> staying with the church. Your, your identification with the church has not cost you much, and me, it's cost nothing in my life. Yes? But you're beginning to see things in the news that could suggest it cost you a lot. Um, yeah. Jim, it was always preached to me that you know you really have to get be really holy, and I was thinking what percentage of <laughs> holiness you know, 50%? What is God's standard where you yeah. fail and pass? Yeah. And I, of course I never felt like I was quite holy yeah. enough. Yeah, of course that has no role in the book of Hebrews. We're either, uh, let me go back to what we said last week. <clears throat> what kind of people in their sanctification process have to be sprinkled with clean water and, and have blood applied to them? Priests. Priests. So what percentage of a priest are you... <laughs> what kind, what percentage of a priest is an ordained priest? 100%. <laughs> uh, we We said last, I think, we said last week, I am not a priest, no one of you is a priest, but we are a priestly people. We have priestly status. We're going to see that again tonight before we're done. Uh, But being priestly people, we are sanctified, we are dedicated, we are consecrated, if you will. All of these words mean essentially the same thing. So we're already in that status. Now we've got to learn to live in that status, how to function in it. So, um, uh, pursue peace with all men. And but, but by the way, notice pursue peace with almond. Amen. Yeah. yeah, that's what we're talking about. And, and sanctification, without which no one shall see God. Watching out now, watch this now. This is verse fifteen is actually continuing the sentence of verse fourteen. Watching out lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, so that no root of bitterness might spring springing up. Um, uh, would would grow and by it many be defiled. Many who would be defiled? What kind of people would be defiled? What kind of people are we? Believe. Yes. What did we just say? What kind of people are we in Hebrews? Priestly. Priestly. Mm-hmm. So if you defile a priest, he can't do his job. Are you with me here? So... A priest, a high priest, can't go to any funeral. I think I'm right in that, uh, except for a very close relation. Can't go to his sister's funeral unless she's unmarried and never has been married. <laughs> okay, can't 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 go to a funeral because death is defiling. Even the very presence of death is defiling. Uh, so. Uh, in hebrews it's not ceremonial defilement that's an issue but it's this root of bitterness that would spread up in what kind of situation would you experience a, a root of bitterness what what kinds of things make you bitter bad things, happen. bad things happen suffering yes so as we as we encourage one another remember hebrews 3 12 and 13 Beware, brothers, lest there shall be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in withdrawing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. So we've got to be watching in each other's lives for um, the root of bitterness springing up. Because he's going to talk about Esau here very quickly. Um, The root of bitterness, as I see, mind you, I can't watch for a root of bitterness in your personal lives because they don't see you most of the time. And when we come on Sundays, we're, we're on best behavior. Yeah. So you, you won't admit any, any root of bitterness in church on Sunday normally. Am I, am I right? So what does this mean? It means we're going to have to get around other Christians and get into their lives and let them into our lives. That's hard. It's painful to do that. There aren't many people that are in my life in that sense. Are you with me here? Um, But I've got to let some folks in, and and I've got to get into their lives uh, in order for them to watch me, because I might be showing some bitterness in some area of my life, and I need that rooted out. So he goes on, verse uh, 16 so that no adult I'm sorry, no fornicator, or do you have profane man? Immoral or godless. Im- immor- yeah, those are two strong words. Godless? Um, well, godless is too strong. Uh, the word is, is opposite to what is sanctified. But what is opposite of sanctified is not unholy, it's, it's just simply common. A person with just common everyday interests. Um, we used to, in a church that I attended many years ago, we'd have uh, regular fellowships after Sunday night service. And the men would get together after some pretty good Bible teaching. Uh, And And (laughs) they'd, they'd talk about duck hunting or they'd talk about golf. But never about the things of the Lord. And There was a church in which I participated in the in the elder board. I've never been an elder, and by God's good mercy, I will never be one. But, <laughs> but um, uh, I participated in an elder board for some years, and we talked about the boiler, and we talked about the roof, and we talked about the um, some personnel problems on the staff of the church. But the elders. Never talked about the spiritual needs of the church are you, are you with me here? They are profane men. Profanum in Latin means something outside the the, uh, the temple precinct. Your home is profane according to this it's, it's not an evil home it's just not in an evil pre- in a holy precinct. Do you follow this So it's part of what is common everyday life. Esau lived his life. On the basis of common everyday things so so that there be no fornicator or a or a we don 't have a good word in English common everyday guy like Esau, who for a for one meal sold his birthright. <laughs> I want to spend a minute talking about this um, Esau's coming in from, from hunting. Yeah? And he's hungry. And how hungry was he? Real. Real. How do you know? In- huh? You've in- hunted before? <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm going to, I'm, I am so hungry, I'm going to die. Now, folks, if one bowl of stew is going to keep you from death, you're not that near death. So for one bowl of stew, he sold the double portion of his father's inheritance. He just didn't care. He just didn't care. He's just a common everyday guy with common everyday values, has no value for what is is genuinely valuable. So, uh, verse, Love's verse. Uh, discipline proves his love. I lost my place here surrounded by such <laughs> <laughs> Boy, verse, now we're, we're going to have to decide who's going to teach this <laughs> <laughs> verse 17 for you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing he was disapproved uh, for he found no place of repentance even though he sought it with tears well, you know you can, you, can, uh, you can sin away the day of grace Amen? Have you heard this before? Sin away the day of grace. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. You can sin away the day of grace, and God won't always continue calling you to salvation. There will come a time when He will quit. Boy, I've heard that I've heard that. I grew up with that. The, this is not what Hebrews is talking about. Hebrews is talking about something different. Esau. Um, Foolishly sold his birthright. Now our text doesn't talk about Jacob in this, because Jacob knew his his brother and used every every opportunity to undermine him. So Jacob's not he's not getting off scot-free in this either. But but Esau sold his birthright, and later, when he wanted what would have come to him naturally, because he's firstborn. Couldn't get it because it had already been given away. By the same token, when our our text mentions the blessing, the blessing and the birthright are related, but they're not identical. The blessing is what what Jacob, what um, Isaac pronounces on Jacob uh, later before he runs to Haran. The birthright is a double portion of the of the father's uh, estate. Repeat that again. The difference. Okay. The blessing is what. Jacob, what Isaac pronounced on Jacob, the dew of heaven and the and, and the fatness of the earth and victory over your enemies and and uh, so on, that's the blessing. the The birthright is a double portion of the father's estate, but they're they're related, but they're not identical. But God had promised the blessing. He he might still have gotten the birthright, but God had promised already at their birth the blessing to Jacob. Yes. Why couldn't Isaac just say to, uh, to uh, the boys, look, Jacob, you got that blessing by deceit and trickery. You're a, you're a deceiver. All right, that's all null and void. I'm going to give it to, to uh, Esau. Well, Jacob can't give the blessing anyway. The dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and victory over his enemies, Jacob can't give that. Only God can give that. And when the patriarchs blessed, they're speaking the word of God. And Isaac, once Esau came in, Isaac realized that he had given the blessing to the wrong son. But he couldn't do anything about it. It was the will of God and it was the word of God that he had spoken. So even though Isaac pleads to get something from his father, he says, I can't. It's all been given away. The issue here is this. If we're planning to go to the kingdom, and I come back to the issues of this, um, everybody who is seeking the kingdom of God is, in fact, seeking the kingdom of God. But not everybody is seeking it the right way. Every Pharisee was seeking the kingdom of God. So when the rich young ruler, you know this passage, came What what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, inheriting eternal life, Jesus interprets as entering into the kingdom in the passage. Watch that in the synoptic passages as they unfold. Uh, So um, Jesus is saying to him, you have your way, go do it. And he says, I've done it. Do I still lack anything? And he tells him to go violate what the Pharisees required. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And that order is important. See, under the under Pharisaic interpretation of the law, you can't give away everything you have because you're you don't own everything. The family owns everything, and it's the family most broadly defined. It's your it's succeeding generations as well as preceding generations on this. You can't give it away. You can give it up to half. And so from time to time, you'll see in Scripture, I'll give you everything I have up to half of my kingdom. You follow? So, so he's saying, cut your ties with the Pharisees. That's your only hope. It's the only way you're going to get to, king, to the kingdom. And the young man went away sorrowful because he had great wealth. Remember this? Right. The, the issue is that while seeking the kingdom... He's, he's been confronted with the fact that he's seeking it the wrong way. And so what we've been doing over time as we've gone through this, in going back to Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, for broad is the gate and easy is the way, we've been contrasting the way of the Pharisee with the way of Jesus, and the way of the Pharisee is the way everybody thinks you should go. It's the way of keeping the law. But Jesus is saying that only leads to death. The only thing that will lead to life is following me, but that looks like it's going to get you killed, and it may well, because it got him killed. And so um, the the passage is, is carrying us along this way. Verse uh, um, 16 and 17 there, uh, Esau wanted the blessing and the inheritance. He couldn't get it because he pursued it the wrong way. He placed no value on the inheritance. He placed no value on the blessing, and until the the moment when he first realized how great the blessing and the inheritance were, he put no value on it. So that by the time he gets to this point in his life, he can't get it; it's not available. So verse uh, then eighteen, for you, and, and verses eighteen to twenty-four. I, I'll just read through this relatively quickly because. Working out the details of everything in this uh, passage isn't very helpful because, frankly, the commentaries are all over the map on <laughs> it. But um, what he's doing is contrasting the way of the law and the way of the new covenant. And we'll, we'll see that as it, as it goes. For you have not come to a mountain that, um, that can be touched, uh, into a flaming fire, into darkness, into thick darkness, and into gloom, or to the sound, the uh, the uh, the resounding of a trumpet and the sound of words, all of which, when those who heard them, uh, 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 to those who heard them, they refused that anything more should be said to them, and they could not bear the commandment. If even a beast should touch the mountain, it shall be stoned. And this is clearly Exodus and the uh, uh, chapter nineteen. Uh, the giving of the, or the beginning of the giving of the law. So verse 21, And so fearful was the thing that, that appeared, Moses himself said, um, I am, I am uh, fearful and trembling. Well, that's the way of the law. But there's another way. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to ten thousands of angels in festal gathering, and to the, uh, the you have perhaps the church of the firstborn? That's possible. It, that wouldn't be um, utterly wrong, but it may be saying more than we ought to say, perhaps to the assembly of the firstborn who are in, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and, and uh, to the mediator of a new covenant, Jesus. And to the blood of sprinkling, which speaks better things than the, the, than the blood of Abel. Remember, he quoted, he cited Abel back at the beginning of chapter 11. So he's, he's, this is really rounding off this, that whole passage that we started last week. But it was already so long, I had to stop someplace. Um, so what does the sprinkling of the blood of Abel speak what kind of message does it proclaim do you know you know the language because you've you've read it before in in scripture the blood of your brother abel is calling out to me from the earth you remember this it it proclaims the need for judgment condemnation death the blood that jesus brings speaks better things than the th- than the blood of abel Um, it speaks not separation from God, but access to God, as we saw in chapters 9 and 10. So verse 25, um, he comes back to a warning section, and this is, I think, the last of the warning sections in the book. Um, Let me catch up here on my um, screen. Um, Yeah, this is good. This will put us right where we need to be. Beware that you do not refuse the one who speaks. For if they did not escape uh, upon earth, when they refused the the one who spoke, much less shall we who might turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Let me stop and say, who are the they who refused the one who spoke? We're going to talk about this Sunday morning, um, the... uh, The importance of Exodus 19 um, cannot be overstated. Um, At the beginning of Exodus 19, God offered to Israel a status to become a kingdom of priests. And as I said to you last week, last Sunday, um, did Israel ever become a kingdom of priests? And sometimes people say yes, and sometimes they say no. The question has to be, well, really, I don't know how to answer that until you tell me what a kingdom of priests is. But if it's a kingdom of priests, and if the promise of God to Abraham is that in you and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, then what would a kingdom of priests mean? What would they do? Mediate. Yeah, to the world. To the world. So, so Israel should be carrying the blessing of God to all the nations. Did they ever do that in the Old Testament era? Well, is the, is the promise of God null and void then? No. no. So there has to be a time when Israel will get to that point. In Exodus 19, they refused him who spoke from heaven. And I'll explain how I know that on Sunday. Um, so that the issue, oh gracious me, uh, the issue for us in this passage is to go all the way back to the wilderness and watch, watch as they regularly respond in rebellion. So as we've pointed out, I think, <clears throat> one of the key words of that whole period from Exodus uh, probably 13, all the way through the opening chapters of Deuteronomy, there's a key word that shows up over and over again. It's, it's the way I've set it up, you'll never guess it, so I'll go ahead and tell you. It's, it's the word grumble. Yeah, how often do they murmur, King James says, how often do they grumble against the Lord? In the ancient Near East, grumbling is a, is a uh, treaty word. And when a recipient of a covenant grumbles, it's the first step to rebellion. It's not just that after Jen and I got married, we were separated for several weeks because I was I had to report to the army. and then we moved I moved to uh, Washington D.C for training. She came up two weeks later, and we got our first apartment together, and huh, finally. <laughs> uh, and Jane's a good cook, and since Mother's with the Lord now and understands, she's better cook than my mother was. Um, a lot better cook than my mother was. <laughs> Mom, you'll understand now. You, <laughs> but but uh, uh, for the first six months, everything she fixed was a casserole, and that's okay. I, I got no problems with casserole, but every casserole she fixed had tomatoes in it. Everything. Had tomatoes in it, and I I tried to figure out how how do I say to Jan, "No more tomatoes," without making her think that I hate her cooking. I said, "Honey, I really do like your cooking, but can we have something without tomatoes (laughs) once in a while?" I was grumbling. There was no rebellion in my heart. It was just I just wanted wanted some meals without tomatoes. (laughs) Does that make sense? So, but but in treaty language, when you talk about grumbling or murmuring. It's, it's the beginning of rebellion in the people. And the people are constantly murmuring, grumbling against the Lord in, in the story from Exodus 13 all the way through to the um, uh, first two chapters of Deuteronomy, frankly. So this is the problem. They refused him who spoke from heaven. Then God threatened to wipe them out and make a great nation out of Moses. Moses reminded God <laughs> of the covenant and of his promises and of his oath. And having reminded God, God didn't need reminding. Why did God put Moses through that if he wasn't going to destroy them anyway? Well, first he's revealing what he ought to do justly to the people. Okay, that That's the just thing for him to do. But God... In our creation, is aiming to reveal grace as much, or perhaps even more than he is justice. Uh, so he has made us a people who believe in justice. We just want to define it the way we uh, the way we prefer. Are, are you with me here? Do you do you not remember children on playground, even children in preschool, I'm talking about that's not fair? Yes. Every, apparently, every human being has some kind of a sense of fairness. So fairness and justice is, is inherent in the character of God, but grace trumps over it. Um, so, so God is working to, to reveal grace. So that entails a second purpose for God doing what he did to Moses in that event back in Exodus. God is showing over and over and over again in the stories of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He is showing what a redeemer looks like, what a real real leader looks like, and a redeeming leader. Moses says, um, "Bought me out of your book. If you destroy them, then Egypt will say it was because you couldn't bring them in. God, in a way, had boxed himself in. He had to be gracious. <laughs> Are you with me? Uh, but he had to show his justice as well, and justice and grace go hand in hand. It's a remarkable joining between the two. We'll talk about that in, in weeks to come in, on Sunday mornings. But, uh, but if, he, if he dealt that way with those people when he spoke, from, uh, spoke on earth... Now that he is speaking from heaven and we refuse him, what's that going to mean? Again, I say, folks, we're not talking about losing your um, relationship with God. What we're talking about is how do I get to the kingdom? Yes? So if I decide that suffering is too much, I can't can't tolerate that, that's not going to work for me, then... There's no way to the kingdom but that. Jesus defined it from the beginning. Enter by the narrow gate. As narrow is the way and restricted, as narrow is the uh, gate and and restricted is the way that leads to life. And Hebrews is talking about this, and Romans talks about it. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 8 talked about the role of suffering in our lives. Yes? So, this is the way we get to the kingdom it's through hardship when we get to chapter 12 of romans i'm going to point out that verse 1 comes before verses 3 to 8 <laughs> but why is that significant because he talks about sacrifice first then he talks about spiritual gifts the spiritual gifts are not for you to enjoy they're not for me to enjoy Spiritual gifts are for the body of Christ to enjoy. And it it will be sacrificial for me to do whatever it is God has gifted me to do. Am I making sense to you? Normally, animals being sacrificed probably didn't enjoy it. Oh good, I'm going to be sacrificed to the Lord today. It's It's a good day. It's a good day. (laughs) They're going to cut my throat and drain all my blood out. Right. Well, why do you think that spiritual gifts ought to be something you're intended you, that your gifting is what you're intended to enjoy? No, the rest of the body is intended to enjoy it. You are intended to be sacrificial. Am I making sense to you? So, this it's it's not just going to be external struggles that we confront that we have to then tolerate and and uh, bear up under. It's going to be sometimes, often, it's going to be something we have to choose specifically to put our necks in the noose, so that we can undertake whatever it is God has 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 uh, set before us. I've been given a responsibility at the seminary. Uh, it's related to things that happened a few weeks ago in Charlottesville. Uh, we we're going to. I'm part of a committee to write a statement on unity in community that tries to capture what the Bible says about these things. We have probably the largest number of of African-American students in our history on our campus right now. Um, And that's a great blessing. But it's also a great responsibility. We've got to learn how to get together, get get along together. Are you with me here? But it's going to entail also dealing with women's issues and gender issues in general. It's going to entail dealing with... um, International students who come, and how do we honor them uh, and not uh, not create undue problems for them? Are you with me here? This is going to be a big issue. I'm just a member of of a fairly well. I think there are eight members of the community of the uh, committee, but I'd sure appreciate your prayers on this. It's going to be so important for us to do this well and do it right from the beginning. Uh, So I, I just plead with you. I, I could have turned down the appointment, but I thought no. The president asked me to do it, and he would have he would accept it if I said no. I just I don't feel I can I can contribute to that. He would have said okay, and he would look some, for somebody else. He wouldn't fire me. But I put my neck in the noose. Are you with me here? And there are, there are lots of these things that are involved in the Christian life, choosing. To put yourself at, in in a place of hardship in order to serve other people, so he goes on to say his voice then shook the uh, the uh, the earth, but now he is promised saying once more, I will shake not only the earth but even the heaven. Uh, this once more makes it evident that he 's talking about uh, the shaking of of uh, of the things that can be changed so that the things that cannot be changed uh, cannot be shaken will remain wherefore since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom again i say folks we're not talking about losing your salvation we're talking about how do you get to the kingdom we're receiving a kingdom yes we're receiving an unshakable kingdom not a kingdom like not a not a a, a government like the united states uh, no democracy in history has ever survived dictatorship until the United States, and it looks like we might be on our way there now. Larry Burkett, back in the 90s, said almost almost certainly the financial situation, he, he was just talking about finances, the financial situation of our nation is going to get so bad that at some point uh, we're going to, we're going to opt for security over liberty. And when we do that, we're going to want one strong person to stand at the head of the government instead of having to shoulder the burdens of liberty and the responsibilities of liberty. That's not the way we think about liberty, is it? Liberty is not a burden. It It is not a matter of responsibility. It is a matter in our day of irresponsibility. Are you with me here? But um, dictatorship has always followed democracy. And so um, uh, our government, as as long as it's lasted, is not unshakable. Um, So where are you gonna put your hope? It can't be in the Democratic Party can't be in the Republican Party. It cannot be in the Greens or the Libertarian Party. It's not in any party at all. It's in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I live for that, not for the excellence and the honor and the and the glory of the United States. As much as I love our country and you do too, most of you do. Um, that's that's not going to that cannot be our allegiance any longer. We've got to stop. So he goes on. Um, since we are, wherefore, since we are receiving a an unshakable kingdom, some of your translations may say, "Let us be grateful." Yeah, that's possible. There are two ways to say thank you in in Greek. One is, is uh, if if you translated it literally, it wouldn't make any sense to a Greek. But if you translated it literally, it would be to have grace. And the other way is to say thank you. <laughs> um, I can't think of the other way in Greek now. There's a, there's a single verb that means that. That's what we have here. Let us have grace. What's that mean? I think what it means is let's hold on to grace. Uh, through which we serve well-pleasingly to God uh, with godly fear and, and uh, some worse. What do you have? What are the two things at the end of verse 28? Fear and awe. Fear and awe. Reverence. <clears throat> Reverence. Reverence. <coughs> um, Holy fear and awe, yes. Yeah. So here, here we've got this. We, we, we know what the goal is, the kingdom. We know what it's going to cost. It's going to cost some suffering. Some of it imposed on us from without. Some of it adopted from within. I get involved in this because, not because it's going to be easy. I know it's going to be hard. I get involved in this because I know it's right. Are you with me here? I'm not even talking about the committee that I'm on right now. I'm talking about any choice you make. There are going to be times when when you make a choice, you know it's going to be hardship in that choice, but you choose it because you think it's right before God. Um, and for indeed... Our God is a consuming fire. It's in this book, written to people who are, in one way or another, followers of Jesus, that the author of Hebrews says um, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is not a word spoken to the lost. It's not a word spoken to those who have no regard at all for Jesus. It's a word spoken to those who have some... Regard for Jesus. Are you with me here? Our God is a consuming fire, and He is. It's a fearful thing to fall into His hands. Um, this is back to, uh, in a way, it's back to what my mother experienced in the days after my parents. Um, the, the The great breach became evident in my parents' relationship, and people would come and say, "Juanita, just trust God." And she said, "I don't know who He is. Everything they told about told me about Him." Seems to be wrong, and I don't know whose hands I've fallen into now. It was a fearful thing for her to be in the hands of the living God, um, but it was a necessary thing for her to learn that, because without that, the ministry of the last fifty years of her life wouldn't have been possible. So, in other words, it's not a destroying; it's a it's a, a refining fire. Yes. Yeah, and it's painful. <clears throat> But there are pains you put up with because you know the greater good that's coming. You know, yes? Ladies, all of you who have had children, you know when the child is coming that pain's on the way. Yes or no? Yeah. You forget in between. I, yeah. Jan didn't. Jan didn't. Uh, uh, but my point is... forget, but it's worth... Yeah, that's the point you know the end product is going to be such that you're willing to go through this. It's kind of forced on you by that point. But you're willing to go through it because holding that baby is going to be everything to you. So, um, verse 29. Now chapter 13. Hey, before you go on. Uh, up there where he says, uh, not only will he shake the earth, but also the heaven. Is that not talking about the new heaven and the new earth? Probably. It is? Yeah. So, all of this that we have committed ourselves to and are desperately laboring to, to foster is going to be gone. Yeah. So, verse uh, chapter 13. He starts in chapter 13 with what I've called on the screen general exhortation in light of the book's teaching. It's general education, uh, exhortation, but it's picking up themes that grow out of what he's been saying. So, First, uh, let brotherly love continue, and then in verses two and three, he spells out some of what brotherly love looks like. Don't give up. um, Don't uh, uh, fail in hospitality, for through this some have have, uh, entertained angels without knowing it. You know the story of Abraham, uh, the two, the three angels on the way. Uh, But hospitality is not having people over for dinner primarily hospitality is is taking in people who often who are the, the very word in greek means dealing with strangers so um, it has to do frequently with <clears throat> the issue of taking in uh christians who are traveling through town helping them with whatever business they're trying to accomplish uh as i know some of you have done in the past with international students that we've had here uh in the class at times and and uh, I know people have helped them with medical and, and financial issues and uh, other things. Yes, you follow what I'm saying? But but that entails then being aware that travelers are are often open to a great deal of abuse. <laughs> so um, one of the things that a traveling Christian could count on is that the churches were going to give him protection and assistance in getting through. Whatever problems he was going to face on his trip. So that's brotherly love. Versus. um, uh, Verse four. um, Marriage is honorable. And the the marriage bed is without. um, Defilement. But fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. What's that got to do with the rest of the book? This one's a little bit difficult to tie into the rest of the book. But. But frankly, what's the next exhortation that follows in the passage? About money. Um, Why would you follow fornication and adultery with talking about money and greed? All three are greed. (laughs) Yes, my needs, my desires are more important than anybody else's. So I've got, to, I've got to meet those needs regardless of the cost to anybody else, whether it's my spouse or somebody else's spouse or a, or, or a person outside the family altogether, or whether it's money. Yes, it's all about desires and how you meet them. Well, folks, if we are going to an unshakable kingdom and the way, that, the way to it is through hardship, then God may bring some hardship in terms of our most basic human needs and desires. Yes? And when he does, then I've got to to learn to satisfy them in ways that are pleasing to God, not ways that violate my relationship with him. This is part of shouldering the burden of of hardship. This is the way to the kingdom. Are you with me? Does that make any sense to you? So verse four and verse five and six go together and notice in, in, in verse uh, um, five and six what he does, he quotes here uh, twice from the Old Testament, um, "Give no place to the love of money. being satisfied with what you have, why do you why would someone get involved in fornication and adultery because you're not satisfied with what you have." Yes. So, uh, for he has said, I will never leave you nor abandon you. Therefore, we may take heart and say, the Lord is my help. I will not fear. What shall man do to me? Um, that seems out of context with verses verse 4 and 5, doesn't it? But if, it's, if I'm reading it right, it's right in context with it. If my sexual needs are not being met, God is my help. I will not fear. What shall man do to me? I will never leave you nor forsake you. If my financial needs are not being met, then I've got to take the same path and say, um, the Lord has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Um, the Lord is my help. I will not fear. What shall man do to me? So so always in these things, we are, we are living with a kingdom mindset. What we talked about in recent days, in fact, I think last week, we talked about living eschatologically, where you live in light of a future that God has promised. Make your decisions on the basis of that promise and not on what would be worldly-wise, what would be Esau's way through the problem, but what would be Uh, eschatologically in tune with the promise of God you go on and you trust that God's going to provide the needs that you have in verses 7 and 8 three times in the succeeding passage there are references to leaders I don't know altogether why but we're in the end of this book yes 13 chapters in a 13 chapter book so We're in the 13th chapter. We're in the end of the book. Maybe he's telling us something important. Maybe a part of what's going on in the community to which he writes this this book is that there's some struggle with the leaders. And he says to them, verse 7, Remember your leaders who have spoken to you the word of God, and observing the outcome of their life, uh, of their life, uh, their way of life, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Folks, that verse 8 is not just good theology. It's saying what God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future. If, God, if, if Jesus has been faithful to your leaders in the past, um, at some point before Chuck dies, I would love to hear him do a series of personal testimony. Just tell us his life. Are you with me here? To hear what's gone on, uh, how he got where he is. Because that will be that could be a, a living testimony, a, a testament to the church in, in years to come. To remind us of why this church was founded, why they do the, what they do. Are you with me here? And, and to remind us that the Jesus who was faithful to him in Okinawa... Yes, is the same Jesus we're dealing with today. And the same Jesus we're dealing with today is the same Jesus our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will deal with in generations to come. Are you with me here? So I need to know the stories of the past. That's why I need to study Genesis through Malachi. Because I need to know what kind of God God is. There are lots of gods rolling around out there, but there's only one true God. And the one true God is revealed in the Bible. And the Old Testament is a great place to go learn him. What will I learn? Well, I will learn that he takes his people into difficult circumstances where where it seems that they must fail. They must be destroyed. Uh, In Hebrews 11, you have that at the end. Remember this? That passage, verse 30, is about 32 to thirty. 6 or so, 37. What shall we say more of, of uh, uh, Gideon and Samson and Jephthah? What a group to start with. Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms. Remember this? But others refused to be, refused release. Remember this? They were, they were sawn in two. They were beaten with rods. Remember this? Uh... He leads people into such things. And if he leads people into such things, if, God, if the God of the past is still the God of the present and the future, then we can expect those things too. We'll, we'll expect some signal victories, and we'll expect some really tough times. But the God who brought Israel out through, through the Red Sea is not a different God from the one we serve now. So Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's important to us in such a book as this. Now he will return to the uh, kind of the core of what the book is about. Do not pay attention. Verse 9, verses 9 to 16. Here's a summary of it. Let's see. Um, Hold fast to the truth in Christ. Refuse to return to the old covenant. Uh, commit your new covenant uh, uh, commit to your new covenant priestly work. go outside the camp to suffer with Christ. Offer the sacrifice of praise and offer the sacrifice of good works and sharing. So here it is verse nine um, don 't pay attention to uh, different kinds of teachings and strange teachings for it 's good for the heart to be built up to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Uh, which have given no profit to those who walk in them. So so uh, he's dealing with people who are um, uh, probably Jewish. That's going to have a bearing on the kosher law and all the dietary laws that Israel had. But if they think that, just as in Romans, if they think that the kosher law is going to assist them in spirituality, they're, they're wrong. It's simply wrong. It's not going to help. It's given no profit to those who walked in them. It's good for the heart to be strengthened or to be fortified by grace. Uh, we have an altar from which to eat that those who uh, serve in the tabernacle have no right to. What what altar do we eat from? Well, in an in a in a New Testament church, you should not have an altar. Language means something, and it matters. This is not a church. This is an assembly building for the church. My pastor, when I was a boy, kept saying, this is not the church. You are the church. Then he'd tell me, don't run in church. (laughs) How do I work that out? Never did quite work that out. Um, um, This is an assembly hall. We don't have an altar. We have a communion table. It matters. Are you with me here? We're not making a sacrifice at the Lord's Supper. We are priests, though we are priestly in the sense that we receive the the food from the altar. Are you with me here? The sacrifice has provided the food that we eat. So when the when when the pastor distributes the almonds of the Lord's Supper, what do what do we say? Take it. Yeah, but before that. This is my body. Remember? This is my blood. We're getting the food from the sacrifice. We have an altar from the the, the only altar we have, folks, is the cross. And the food is everlastingly being distributed to us from it. <laughs> Isn't that neat? I, I think it was a lovely that's a that's a I never even thought that idea before. Thursday I start teaching Lord's Supper again so I'm going to have to get that into that class Uh, um, but we have an altar from which to eat that those who serve the tabernacle have no right to Um, the body of uh, the the blood of of those animals shed for sin uh, is brought by the uh, high priest into the holy place but their bodies are burned outside the camp why outside the camp do you know no, that, no, not, that's not the primary reason, not in Leviticus. They're burned outside the camp because they're, they're corpses. And they're unclean, and it's outside the camp where it's unclean. Jesus dies outside the camp. So, uh, verse, um, uh, So verse 11, their bodies are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus himself, that he might sanctify the people by his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let's go out to him. Miriam, when she challenged Aaron's leadership, I'm sorry, Moses' leadership of Israel, was stricken with leprosy. You remember the story? Yes. You know, what happened? She was sent outside the camp. Why? Unclean. Yeah, the camp is where, the, where what, what is clean must be. Uh, she is defiled with a major defilement, it takes a week long ritual. To, to be cleansed from leprosy. Um, it's not really leprosy, by the way, but we don't have a better word quite. Um, it's a, some kind of skin disease, and leprosy is a neurological disorder. Uh, no physicians in the class tonight, I don't think. So, um, But she had to leave the camp until she, until she was healed of her leprosy. When God removed it, she could go through the cleansing and move progressively back into the camp. Are you with me here? Um, But we have to go outside the camp to Jesus. Why? Because the old camp of Israel is no longer the place where it's clean. It's no longer where the holy presence of God is. The holy presence of God had to leave the camp. Is this making sense? So if you saw any of the uh, uh, Superman movies... (laughs) Yes? See how much culture you have. Uh, <laughs> Superman has this this booth that he goes into so that he, so that he can lose his powers and marry Lois Lane and live out a life of happiness and love the rest of his life. But then powerful enemies have come from his home planet and they're trying to tyrannize the earth. And he, he, has, he goes back into the booth to, to gain his powers again and goes out and fights them. They appear to conquer him. So they put him back in the booth. But in the meantime, we don't know this when the story is, is, uh, is unfolding. In the meantime, he has reversed the wiring so that the polarity is reversed. And all of the folks outside the booth lose their powers, and he, get, he gets to keep his. Are you with me here? This is what's happening. We've reversed the polarity. In the camp in the Old Testament is where God's holy presence was. So the camp is holy. You go outside the camp because you're unclean. You can't come back in until you're clean. Jesus had to suffer outside the camp. That sanctifies the region outside the camp. And as long as I want to stay in the camp of Israel, I can't get to what Jesus is leading people to. Have to leave that camp and go outside where the blessing presence of God is. And this, is this is right from the beginning. We've been talking about this. Remember sanctification is as much a relational thing as it is an ordination to priesthood. Remember 1 Corinthians 7.14. The unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believer. You remember this? It's a matter of relationship, not of how good you are spiritually, but a matter of relationship. You're put in a place where God will use you. Okay? So, so even a non-believer... A non-believing priest was a holy priest. Yes? Yes? So he had the sprinkling of the water and the application of the blood. He was a holy priest. He was a non-believer, wicked man, but he was holy. So this is not about morality. This is about relationship and 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 uh, functioning. So we are a priestly people whose, whose holiness is is defined by the presence uh, by, by maintaining relationship where the where the holy presence of God is so even a non-believer who is in the community uh, if he stays with the community, something's going to happen to him now I don't think I ever finished that chart that I started Remember a, b, and c <clears throat> I suggested that uh, b and c, in my illustration. A and B were uh, non-believers, and C was a believer <clears throat> and C would certainly persevere in his faith but but A and B were open to the, the the along with C were open to persecution from the the Jewish world, and to get the persecution to stop, what would you do if you, if you were in the community of the Messiah and you wanted the persecution to stop, what would you do? leave go go back to the old way go back to the old way so now everybody that you value everybody that you honor is is telling you oh you've made a great decision this is marvelous decision you you should have you should have never left moses but now that you've come back to moses you're on the way you're going to make it to the kingdom hebrews is saying you're not going to make it that's no way to the kingdom you're going to stay with jesus so so one of those two a or b Decides to go back, and the persecution stops. But, but the but remembering Hebrews three twelve and thirteen, awfully important verses for the book, as I understand it. Um, the the other people in the community of the of the Messiah come to him and surround him in the midst of his har- hardships and say, they say to him, Yeah, I know it's hard. We we're we going through this too. We're with you. <clears throat> But don't give up on Jesus. Remember how great he is. And they rehearse the very things that Hebrews has been saying right along from, the, from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 10. The greatness of Jesus over the angels and over Moses and Joshua and the high priest and, and the covenant and the sacrifices and the tabernacle. He's, he's supreme over everything. So if, if, if you would be inclined to go back to Moses, you go back to what can't do anything for you finally. You got to stay with Jesus. I have learned in my life if you stay in the midst of suffering for a cause, you develop a love for that cause that I can't quite understand. I don't know quite how it happened. Nine days married when basic training began, <laughs> and and uh, I got there and I didn't know any man in the company of two hundred men. I knew one name, a guy who was a pothead. In my dorm in college, was in my basic training company in a different uh, a different platoon, so I didn't uh, ever get to be around him. But thank you. But <laughs> but I met two guys, Barlene and Clyburn. And by the way, Clyburn was a cousin of of Van Clyburn. So, but um, I got to buddy up with them. And after eight weeks of of facing tribulation from you know the great tribulation came for eight weeks, and it was not seven years after all. It was eight weeks, but. Uh, <laughs> But the uh, Antichrist was the, Lord, the, the drill sergeant. <clears throat> and, <laughs> and having that, the day that, that we graduated from basic, and I took all of my gear, threw it in the car, and we started off leaving Leonardwood, Missouri, to go to Oklahoma City for two weeks leave. I wept to leave Barleen and Clyburn because we had, we had suffered together. Are you with me here? When our, child, when our first child was born, Jan had an immediate affection for her. I didn't have any. And I thought, what's wrong with me? Is there something, am I being what Paul talks about? People in the latter days will lack natural affections. Something dreadfully wrong with me. What's going on? And over time, she had uh, ear infections. And uh, Jan carried her at night. But after a couple of nights, she said, Jim, I can't carry her again tonight. I just can't stay up. I've got to get some sleep. Would you, would you take care of her tonight? And I carried her all night. And what I found was within just days, I started having affection for that child. When you bear hardship for a cause, you gain affection for it. And if we, can, if we keep these folks in the community, even if, they're, if, even if they have no overt faith, God can work faith in them. And if faith is what we've been saying, loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, that may be a new evangelistic method we hadn't even thought about. Um, So, going back to Hebrews then, um, where did we leave off? Oh, verse uh, 11. Verse 12 Therefore, I'm um, sorry. We left off with verse thirteen. Um, verse fourteen. We do not have here an enduring city, but we're seeking one who is that is coming. Through him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise. Yeah, yeah, good. I just I don't see. Yeah, I hadn't gotten to it yet in the text. So, um, let us offer up continually the sacrifice of praise. What is a sacrifice of praise? Well, it's it's praise that is a sacrifice, but there's more to it. This is a specific kind of sacrifice. It's the only place where that phrase occurs anywhere else in the Bible is in Hebrews. I'm sorry, it's in Leviticus seven. Um, doesn't give it here. Let me see. Let me just see if I have it. No seven twelve yeah seven twelve I, I was thinking it was eleven, but I want to get the right verse Seven twelve and there it's a form of the peace offering, and it's a, a peace offering is a, this particular kind is one that you make because um, you have been in trouble, you cried out to God, and God delivered you, and you come and make the peace offering, um, which must be an expensive animal you can't offer an inexpensive animal for a peace offering. You're enjoying the blessing of God, so you must have a costly sacrifice. Um, but that, but a, a thank offering has to be eaten overnight. None of it can be left till the next morning. So if you make a, an offering of a, of a sheep or a goat, or if you're very wealthy, an ox, it has to be eaten overnight. None of it can be left till the next morning, or it's invalid and it has to be done again. So, what are you going to do? Eat what you can
1: and burn No,
0: you can't burn it. You've got to eat it. Give it, to a, give it to yeah, you have to bring people with you and, and invite people that are there at the tabernacle uh, to gather so the poor often gather at the tabernacle. Offerings over there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but you have to do this, and it has to be eaten overnight. Are you with me here? And in the midst of it, you get up and you say, I was in trouble. So you review the time of need. But I cried out to the Lord, and he heard, and he drew me out of a great distress. Those three statements are very common in the very few um, Thanksgiving psalms that we have. I cried, he heard, he drew me out. Um, And you you put the emphasis not on the need, but on what God has done, and, and how his deliverance worked, and how he answered prayer. So the sacrifice of praise is what we should be doing at the Lord's Supper. But now, how many of you are willing to stand up in a 3,400-seat auditorium and talk about what God did <laughs> in, in delivering you? you know, I, I see no hands. I, I suppose you <laughs> that, that could mean that you just assume I don't need an answer. But uh, I'd really like to know, how many of you would be willing to stand up in a 3,400-seat auditorium and just from the floor give a testimony? None? Well, I didn't know it was a, requ- a requirement, but I'll start, David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they don't want you to. We've got to get out and go to Sunday school. So <laughs> this has some, some fundamental implications about how the Lord's Supper ought to be done. Direct uh, prayer. Hmm? That's, that's not a sacrifice of praise. It's done before God's people. God's people must be enriched by God's blessing in your life. Yes. Jim, you know, um, I missed the marathon classes. I this I mean, guy, but that's what they do before their prayer time. They have people stand up and give a testimony of what the Lord has done for them. That, and, yeah. yeah. Wow. I didn't yeah. know. But we are a priestly people. We have a sacrificial ritual to carry out. We have two of the sacrifices in this passage. There are other passages as well. So this is the first one. Um, Through him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually to God. That is, the fruit of lips confessing his name. That word confessing is something that you do in public. It's not something you do in private. And do not forget doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. When you do good, and this would, this would go back to what we've seen since 1032, right on through into this passage that we're looking at this evening. When you do good, hospitality, love, uh, 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 brotherly love, uh, when you're faithful in your marriage, when, you're, when you are generous with your funds, um, then these are sacrifices, and God's well pleased with them. Israel's, sacri- uh, Israel's priests, Malachi chapter one, despised the table of the Lord. They offered up unacceptable sacrifices to God. Now the new priesthood needs to take its priestly duties seriously and get get involved in our sacrificial ministry. Uh, verse seventeen. Um, you know, here, here is the issue about leaders. Um, you have um, obey your leaders, yes. um, and submit to them. I got only two problems with that. Uh, neither word means submit. Um, and the first word, look at verse seventeen. You have you have obey, yes. yes. Verse eighteen. Let me pick it up here before we get there. Uh, pray for us, for we are sure. 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 Same word. How come it means we are sure in verse 18 and, and, and obey in verse 17? <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. What I'm suggesting is it doesn't mean obey. It, it doesn't mean obey all that often, frankly. In verse, well, in verse 17, it doesn't mean obey. It means be persuaded. Let yourselves be persuaded and be yielding. To your leaders, for they stay up on watch. This is the word for a shepherd keeping watch over his sheep at night. They they stay awake on watch over your souls. Um, I've lost the place. Where did it go? There it is. Um, uh, As people who will give a give an account, so that they may do it with joy, and not uh, in uh, with groaning. This would be unprofitable for you, so we're not here commanded to do everything that those who are. There, there's a there's a movement that used to say, there's a spirit. What was the what did they call it? Um, a chain of command spiritually. Chain of command. Yeah, and uh-huh. you you must obey. And my pastor, at one point, said, "If I tell you to sin, you must obey me." And sin at the judgment seat of Christ. I will be judged for commanding you to sin, but you will be judged for not obeying me. That's nonsense. But it's based. Thank you for that. Hmm? What'd you say? I just said thank you for saying oh. that because I was beginning to say, what? You know, he's with the Lord now and knows better. But he, he, the, the, the point is that um, we're, we're to, to leave ourselves open to being persuaded by our spiritual leaders. They may want to go in a direction we don't think the way they ought to go. But if they say, we really have we really prayed over this, and we've sought the Lord over this, Let, let's do this, then I ought to cooperate with them every, every chance I get. That doesn't mean I abandon my brain uh, and, and just follow them into sin, but it, it does mean they're in that position for a reason, and I ought to pay attention to it. He turns down, verse 18, to uh, uh, asking for prayer for himself. Pray for us. We are persuaded that we have a good conscience. Um, uh, in everything wanting to g- conduct ourselves well and especially I urge this uh, that uh, urge you to do this so that I might be restored to you early uh, or, or, or quickly then in verse uh, 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 22 I want to skip verse 20 for just a minute verse 22 he says bear with this word of exhortation I've written to you briefly 13 chapters brief okay well alright uh Bear with this word of exhortation, verse twenty-three. Expect me to come with Timothy. This is one one reason why people have suggested that Paul may be the author. But Timothy knew a whole lot of people, not just Paul, so <laughs> that wouldn't necessitate Paul. Um, then, verse twenty-four. There's a greeting. Um, greet um, all the saints. Uh, I'm sorry, all those who lead you, and all the all the saints. Uh, those who are from Italy uh, 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 send you greeting. What does that mean? Is he writing from Italy, or is he in some other place and there are people from Italy that are sending their greeting to these people? You know, I, I don't know. I it is the latter. It can mean either, and the grammars go both ways with this. So, um, and then finally, you have the the uh, uh, the final warning, verse twenty. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus, outfit you in every good thing to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he closes the letter, um, verse 25, the grace, uh, a grace be with you all. Now, I want you to notice just a couple of things here. Your obedience, your response to this letter, is not dependent entirely on you. Um, in a broader sense, to, to move away from what we've been talking about, sanctification in this book, to move to a systematic theology level where I talk about sy- uh, sanctification as being growth in spirituality. Um, New birth is entirely the work of God in your life. Glorification is entirely the work of God in your life, but sanctification is a cooperation between God, uh, God's provision and our, uh, our use of his provision. So some will be more mature and some will be less mature in part because we've not cooperated as, as much as others have with God. So Philippians 2.12, the Methodist verse. Okay? <laughs> Uh, uh, now in my absence all the more work out your own salvation with fear and trembling but it's followed because paul was not a methodist nor a presbyterian he was a Baptist, costal presby So, (laughs) so as such he followed the methodist verse with a presbyterian verse for the one who is performing in you the willing and the doing of his good pleasure is god so which is it? Is man responsible or is God sovereign? sovereign. No, it's both. It's both. We're equipped. Yeah, yeah, we're equipped, but we've got, to, we've got to, to start using these things. And so here he puts this all together. Um, verse, uh, why, why do I have that final warning there? There is what I wanted to get to. Verse uh, uh, 21, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, um, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Uh, so this is, this is the message of the book of Hebrews. How can I sum it up? Uh, it's now um, 8.45, and you've been very patient with me tonight. Thank you for your patience on this. How can I sum it up? We're talking about faith that clings to Jesus no matter the cost. And if that, if if you talk, walk away with that, I think you will understand the book of Hebrews. Um, the if if you take apart each part of that, faith. What is faith? It's living eschatologically. Okay, For, who is Jesus? Well, he's the one who's seated at the right hand of God, who is supreme over the angels, uh, supreme over Moses, supreme over Joshua, supreme over uh, Aaron, supreme over. <laughs> The old covenant supreme over the old tabernacle, supreme over the old sacrifices, in every way exceeding everything that they do. Uh, And this is the reason why I should I should pursue faith, hold fast to Christ, no matter the cost. The 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 thing that Christ is bringing is the kingdom, and the kingdom is so worthwhile. It was worthwhile for the Son of God to leave heaven, come to the earth, be assaulted by the wickedness of man for 33 years, die a, a condemned, uh, shameful death, and then rise the third day in order to save us, to bring us to the kingdom. So, so great is the kingdom that it was worth it to him to do that. Then, here is the message. Cling to Christ, no matter the cost. Thank you for letting me teach this, and thank you for your generous gifts. We really appreciate that. Can't believe this New Testament that will get an honored place. Got to figure out where it's going to be, but uh, my goodness, that's that's really nice. What was the last thing that clinged Christ and what? No matter the cost. Um, so um, that's the Book of Hebrews, and I think you can see why we needed to do this in a fairly concentrated way. Uh, we keep coming back to ideas, and the the old way of thinking comes intruding into our thinking on the book of of hebrews too much but every author has a right to use his language the way he wants to within limits of course well let's close with prayer father uh, we're thankful for this book a bit intimidated by it but uh, we're thankful for it and how dear it is i was listening to one of your servants tonight just introducing the book and and he said uh, this would run um, a pretty stiff competition to be the greatest book of the New Testament. We're studying Romans in another study in Hebrews here. Which one is greater, Father? In your eyes, all of them are equally important. For us, as we look for food in your word, these give us so much tasty food. Um, They're just marvelous to us, and we find so much hope in them. Now, Father, seal the message of this marvelous revelation that you've given to us. Work in us all that you have promised. Keep before us the supremacy of Jesus so that we may stand before you in that day. And hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen.